it'll, it will be interesting to see how that dynamic changes as, as more and more of these artists or their estates have kind of a, a representation that we didn't see 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, with, uh, of course, the internationalization of the art market where, you know, Afro-Cobra artists can be shown at the Venice Biennale by a gallery owner, Martise Berdola, from from uh, the D.C. area. You know, she she's she's not a blue chip big thing, but that shows you how how much you can show and and how open the world is you now and and what the art will travel welcome to the artelligence podcast live arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works i'm your host marion maniker This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. African-American artists have been stars in the art market for the last several years. But long before black painters were featured in the marquee evening sales, Nigel Freeman was building the African-American art market one sale at a time at Swan Auction Galleries. His semi-annual auction takes place on March 31st, featuring the work of Norman Lewis, Huey Lee Smith, Ed Clark, and Kenneth Victor Young. In this podcast, we talk about the 15-year journey towards defining this field and the opportunities mainstream success has brought to African-American artists. I hope you'll enjoy it. Nigel Freeman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, Marion. Thank you. You've been running uh, these sales in the African American Art Department at Free uh, Freeman's at Long um, <laughs> Gallery. <laughs> exactly the confusion of the, the of the two. You've been running these sales at uh, Swan Galleries for twelve years now. Thirteen. Fifteen years of auctions. Yes, in February. So. It's not a new thing anymore. Uh, we've certainly have uh, a history now. Well, you not only have a history, but the rest of the world has discovered uh, this uh, category and expanded on it greatly. And instead of that um, impacting your sales negatively, it seems to have, if anything, helped them grow even further. So I, I thought, you know, with that in mind, maybe you could take us back uh, 15 years ago mm -hmm. and sort of explain what it was like to start uh, an African-American art department, uh, who, where you were getting the works and who the um, buyers were and uh, what kind of reaction you got. Yeah, it's a totally different landscape, Marion. Uh, we've come a long way. And uh, when I started, I founded this department here at Swan Galleries back in 2006, in the fall of 2006. And it came out of my experience working in the works on paper department here at Swan. So I've had two careers here. Um, seeing the interest in African-American art, but not seeing anything really deliberately consigned to auction, uh, collectors not selling at auction, and the auction world really not knowing much about African art. Uh, but knowing a little bit myself, um, I was always curious to see how it would um, happen when we actually 
deliberately put together sales. And we had the opportunity in 2005 because uh, I was able to get the estate of uh, Harry Henderson, who wrote with Romir Bearden, uh, sort of a standard text on African-American art in the 90s. And his son, Albert Henderson, who's also a writer, uh, consigned his father's estate to us, which included two excellent Romir Bearden collages. Uh, as he was friends with Bearden, he had great Bearden's, uh, two that were in a National Gallery show. So we waited for the show to end, curated by the great Ruth Fine. And uh, around that collection, which included also an abstract Bearden and, of course, several Bearden prints, uh, I was able to get enough of a group of African-American artists, uh, Lois Mailer-Jones, Alan Kreit, Doc Thrash, and put together a section in our modern sales. And it it was really exciting. And and people really responded. Uh, the Bearden sold for what was a record price at the time. And so we knew that the demand was there. Uh, at least I was able to prove that the demand was there. We did it. We did that twice, doing sections of uh, black artists in sort of modern uh, sections. And uh, with that success, the consigners, uh, the people who wanted to sell came out of the woodwork. They were like, finally, there is a venue to sell work where the prices represent what we perceive as the value, et cetera. Because before that, it was really a, a group of galleries and dealers that focused on African-American art, who did excellent sales, Michael Rosenfeld and Bill Hodges and June Kelly and others. But there was no venue for buying and selling in the secondary market like auction. So that's what I stepped into, uh, a world where there were very few auction records where one had to be very careful in how you valued work. We took it very seriously. Um, I wanted to give the department kind of a focus on really the artist, the African-American artist, developing their stature, putting the work into context, providing the history that made their contributions more relevant and part of American art history. So um, we worked on it for a while and, and it grew. So it was a almost a build it and they will come kind of strategy. Yes. But it's clear that it worked in sort of both directions, that the people who were buying from you were also the consigners, I'm assuming, because they were yeah. seeing this this work on, on both sides. And as any collector does, there's always stuff that goes out as, as new stuff comes in. And I got the impression also that in that era, many of the collectors had bought works directly from the artists mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of where you were getting source from, you would look at the provenance and it would be, you know, acquired directly from the artist by, right. you know, doctors, lawyers, all sorts of uh, middle class people who had bought works of art often in the 50s, 60s and so, so yeah, on. Ab absolutely. Yeah, I know the. The interesting thing about this part of the secondary market is we're not far removed from the artists. There's not really much ownership history in many of the works that we sell. And still today, I mean, uh, we work, we're not a gallery, but we do work closely with um, some artists' estates and some uh, descendants of artists who have inherited works. And uh, so we feel, you know, that proximity to the artist, of course, because the work is still in many people's families. And then... Like you said, many, especially African-American professionals and successful people who could collect started buying works directly, often from artists as well as, uh, you know, from galleries. Um, I mean, and, and many artists were giving their work to people instead of selling it. I mean, we, we sell many works by Norman Lewis, but 
more than half, I would say, were not bought at his gallery, Willard Gallery. There were gifts or people, friends and family that, that he gave the works to. Norman Lewis is one of the sort of central artists of your sales, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a significant Lewis, it's usually, you know, one of the ten poles, uh, both in terms of value, but also attracting people. And I... I'm trying to think through some of the other artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huey Lee Smith uh, seems to appear in in a bulk of the sales. Uh, Elizabeth Catlett. Um, uh, there's there's a series, and, and it almost seems like your sales are still focused on historical artists, where the growth of the rest of the art market uh, and the other auction houses is primarily around current artists working whose secondary markets are building because the demand right. just can't be met by the the galleries and uh, and all right. and and with the exception of one or two uh, Sam Gilliam uh, a few Norman Lewis's when they appear Barclay Hendricks who who you developed that that market and he kind of exploded mm-hmm. into the mainstream auction ha- houses there does seem to be like your market is is more historical and the auction houses are, are more sort of present minded or is that well no that that's that's a good point and and it's it's part of the that is uh, a function of uh, where we were back then what we were just talking about in, in 2007 and 2008 when we stepped into this market you know of course contemporary artists were 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 plugged in they were part of the gallery scene but um, we quickly saw that these, you know, major important artists, the modern, the first generation, if you will, of modern artists outside of Bearden and Jacob Lawrence were not represented. And these were fantastic artists. So, yeah, absolutely. Charles White, Elizabeth Catlett, Hughley Smith, the, the names you mentioned and more, Charles Alston, Hale Woodruff. Um, we we that market was completely open to us and we quickly cemented kind of uh, new benchmarks for those artists you know in our first sale and our, our second sale was a very important corporate collection the golden state mutual life collection which had fantastic paintings we're drawing a major drawing by charles white you know painting by hugh Louis smith etc so the modern artists have been certainly our foundation and of course now we've seen the second generation of abstract artists who uh, have been sought after now for, for the last five to 10 years, you know, of course, Sam Gilliam, but others of that generation, um, whether it's uh, Kenneth Victor Young or William T. Williams or others who are that next generation of artists or Haradina Pendel or whoever, whoever, yeah, we, we were able to really build out um, sales in many of those areas. And um, and that, that has been our strength, and it is our, still our strength today. It's it's kind of, um, Hughley Smith is an amazing artist, and uh, Elizabeth Catlett. And what's wonderful about them is they had very lengthy careers. I mean, they kept working into the 90s. Uh, Hughley Smith is so consistent. Of course, his work is now being discovered at some of the other auction houses, but we were we were able to sell his work, but not just focus on so the the one period that all the collectors were focused on his prime fifties period. This those 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and as we had access to some of these works, the the market has kind of come along and caught up with with those type of sales. So that's been an area we've been able to continue with, and it's wonderful and. Charles White and Norman Lewis deserve to be in the biggest sales, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the reality that they they're 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 major artists. They they should be in the evening sales. That's their rightful place. But we've also been able to continue to do what we're doing because 
you know, just as Norman Lewis was an important figure, his his friends and uh, cohorts, uh, Hale Woodruff and Charles Austin, how, how can you talk about Norman Lewis without those two? And, and we've been selling their work for a long time. How does the collector base work? Years ago, there was an impression that there were uh, a couple of, and, and this is not exclusive to this market, you know, the think of the American furniture market was <laughs> greatly affected by one or two, you know, uh, collectors who had set very high prices and, and somewhat ag- set agendas for other uh, collectors. And for a period, I, it, it's my impression, there were a couple of big name collectors in the this space. But did that create more people coming in or did did a sort of different group of collectors develop as you know you've been doing this for 15 years so you're seeing a lot of repeat customers mm-hmm. i'm assuming you've developed a lot of relationships you should have oh, some yeah. sense of you know yeah. uh, how this has all changed over 15 years yeah no it, it's changed uh and it's continued it's that's that's the beauty of this uh and that's how we've been so fortunate is mary we we have clients who have been buying at our auctions for 15 years. So we have these wonderful collectors who are comprehensive, encyclopedic kind of collectors who keep coming back uh, or collectors who have, you know, an expansive portfolio, if you will, of, of artists. But it, the landscape has changed, you know, at the beginning and um, even before auctions, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you know, Af- African-American collectors wanted to acquire the masters, you know, and, and build sort of encyclopedic collections. And now we're working across many kind of areas of collecting. You know, we're, we're dealing with people who have very narrow focus. We're, we're selling kind of a broad swath of American art from 19th century Tanner to, you know, Duncanson. yeah, or someone like that into something very contemporary. What, what kept us going and really what was the bridge for for where we were at the very beginning to where we, you know, after the mid, uh, you know, early teens was institutions. So uh, especially got us through the, the, the sort of lean years after 2008. I mean, I had an auction the week that the stock market fell off a cliff in 2008 in October. We had an auction that week. Coverlot was a Norman Lewis, um, wonderful collection from the family of uh, a judge and ambassador, Edward Dudley. And um, that collection uh, was fought over by two museums. Uh, the, the Norman Lewis you'll, you'll see in the collection of MFA in Boston. Um, so museums early on were starting to reconfigure their American art collections. So that, that sustained us through you know, the 09s and 10s. And then we've just seen an explosion in interest, especially in the last five years, if you've well documented, in the internationalization of African art. These are the now recognized, like some of the leading American artists. So we don't have to talk about Sam Gilliam as an African-American artist. He's a trailblazing American artist, right? Or or Howard Dina Pendel or someone like that. So with that, there's just been a tremendous growth in people who are sometimes collecting for the first time one of these artists and also people who have built out collections in let's say color field abstraction and now like well, who's Kenneth Victor Young or who's so we're 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 adding to those type of collectors i mean i think the 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 thing that kind of made it apparent how global it was with soul of a nation how that show was created and started in London <laughs> by two English curators 
and brought all this wonderful work out of American collections. So yeah, it's 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 really changed, um, really broadened. Well, that is there's a there's an appeal to that because that uh, show especially kind of focused on a, a particular period, mm-hmm. uh, and it had a, a kind of whole cool around it, uh, mm-hmm. bo- both the political side of it, but just the, the cultural appeal. The Soul of a Nation is a great way to um, make a transition to talk about the Barclay Hendricks market because he seemed to capture for so many the kind of cool of that period. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a certain section of his the work he produced, but not the entirety uh, of it. But it certainly led the way. And you sold some of the first ones. And I was just curious to hear the reaction to that work. Was it Were there people familiar with it or was it just a, a complete discovery? We just had with the first figurative large scale painting of his, uh, Angie, which actually it was consigned to us um, and the curators, I don't think we're thrilled during the traveling exhibition of The Birth of Cool, the retrospective. So um, it had been on a couple of the first two venues, I think the PAFA and then the Studio Museum. And then that came it came to us. Uh, so it was at a time where you think people would have had woken up to him because he was having a traveling retrospective. It, it wasn't some obscurity that and and of course Trevor Schoonmacher had put together this like amazing show. He's such a great curator. And I had one little um, basketball uh, painting of Barclay Hendricks before that, which is actually uh, up in the show at Jack Shaman right now. But uh, there's a, um, yeah, there's a, it, it shows how even then, like it would have been a very different moment today with the exposure that show would have had. So it was to, to people in in, the, in our world, it was an amazing show, but it hadn't reached this kind of higher level. And we and you still saw that it was still kind of odd to me, like with the, the Norman Lewis show and others traveling that they hadn't reached kind of a national consciousness. But but to get to back to Barclay, that was a painting that had been um, in an artist's family and um they consigned it to to us, and it was acquired by the Sheldon Museum, which is uh, a wonderful collection of American art. Not where you'd think the most trailblazing collecting would be, but they they were, and uh, they they uh, collected some fantastic paintings from us again at that time in 08, 09. Dri- driven by a curator or by yes, Daniel uh... Venanciano, Daniel Venanciano, who was at the Studio Museum prior to that, was the chief curator who led there. He was smart. He, he, he got some wonderful things at, at prices today that people would gladly pay. <laughs> the Studio Museum has seeded so much of the uh, uh, current art world with pe- people. I mean, that's not yeah. uh, surprising to hear you you uh, say that. It is great to see the, the Hendrix sort of uh, develop. I, I'm, you know, I'm not aware how much uh, work there is uh, out there. I know Shaman is, is still quite involved uh, with the estate and all, but I, I assume we'll continue to see more of these works or are they mostly passing into museums? Well, I think uh, with Barclay Hendricks' work, um, and we had a nice run with the work until um, we got to, I guess it was 2012 or 13, we had two of the large white paintings one of those now, Steve, is in the collection of the Whitney Museum uh, that was acquired at Swan. They got up to 
what would be um, still a fraction today, they were in the mid $300,000, $400,000 range at auction then. That was the record. And it was it's it's a tight market for Barclay. There there are not many works of his. He 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 was a productive artist, but not a prolific artist. So these large figure pieces are such a hot commodity because they are so scarce. Um, so they are yeah they're either in collections. They're few that are kind of no longer under the radar, so to speak. You know, we were fortunate to have some that were acquired early by uh, supporters doctors and, and and people who supported his, his early career in Philadelphia when he was showing at like Ken, Ken Mayer galleries before he went to ACA in New York and things like that. So that's that's where some of them were. But there, you know, he's 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 such a wonderful artist. I mean, I, I think it's still a great, uh, great opportunity. The, 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 I mean, he's an amazing artist. If, if I had that money, I, I, I would I would consider it, too. Um, yeah, it's it's really he's really just kind of this um, amazing talent and kind of very much of the moment, you know, of course, with the, the people, the way they were dressed, the like it was totally kind of um, evocation of the 60s and 70s. But he's also this like brilliant classical trained painter, you know, he went to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Art. He, 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 he knew all the academic techniques. You know, he was only, the only figurative painter probably at Yale <laughs> when he got his MFA. Um, but yeah, he's he's amazing. Other artists like that, and and you were talking about the, uh, the traveling retrospective and the importance of uh, a museum show, and and it it makes me think about you know there's this great Faith Ringgold show at the New Museum mm -hmm. right now, and there's some work is owned by some very significant collectors. Uh, you can see it in the cards in, in the show and and all. But it will will we see more of her work come to auction? It's not my impression, actually, that, you know, the work she makes and her mark is a little uh, different uh, for that. But, you know, in generally, museum shows create auction opportunities in other markets. And I'm curious to hear your sort of take on your own. Yeah, I mean, I, Faith Ringgold uh, is a wonderful artist, and we've been fortunate to have uh, some amazing work of her, especially the work that was part of the estate of Dr. Maya Angelou. It was this amazing story quilt of hers commissioned by Oprah, Faith Ringgold, and an image of Maya Angelou. It's like this triumphant of awesome Black womanhood in that, in that work. And it went to the Crystal Bridges Museum. And, um, you know, I think that's it's it's interesting with Faith Ringo. Yeah, I think there will be more works of hers coming to auction. I, I think you're right. The demand is certainly there. Um, you know, she she's had a long history and strong representation with ACA, you know, so she she's kind of had a, a steady representation in gallery shows with her current gallery. Unlike some other artists where, you know, the representation has shifted and changed over the time. And I think that's a big factor in these artists. So you can see how uh, an artist like um, Sam Gilliam kind of had this weird period where he was in between galleries and in the 90s and the O's and it's just like kind of disappear. His work is in all these museum collections, but it, he, 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 he was he was not really 
where he should have been in the secondary market. So I think, you know, today there are so many galleries that are really looking for these type of career artists that that's going to change. Is there a balance then between if there is a gallery that has a strong position in the market, it uh, less comes to auction, you know, in, in, in plenty of parts of the art world, there's a somewhat of a conflict between the auction houses and the uh, and the galleries and i i presume especially if you've got a long uh relationship with a particular artist that gives you even more control over uh their their market especially if the artist wants it that way and would make it you know less likely that things come to you uh, to be part of your auction yeah, no, I think it's definitely a factor. I think it's a factor because uh, where we had, as we were saying earlier, like where in the beginning where so many artists still had large holdings in families or collections and they weren't represented. Um, and there was no one to go back to and say... Right. You know, or or be, get a call from and say, "Hey, I know you've had that for thirty yes. years, but I've got someone who would really love uh, love it, and it, it it won't hurt. We will give you a, a nice price for it." Yeah, no. So that I, I think it it will be interesting to see how that dynamic changes as as more and more of these artists or their estates have kind of. A, a representation that we didn't see 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, with, uh, of course, the internationalization of the art market where, you know, Afro-Cobra artists can be shown at the Venice Biennale by a, a gallery owner, Mertiz Berdola, from from uh, the D.C. area. You know, she she's she's not a blue chip big thing, but that shows you how how much you can show and and how open the world is you now and and what the art will travel but the publicity factor of a strong sale it, it's not just you sort of providing that to other auction houses you people come to you when they see you sell something well either to sell something similar or when they're looking for you know they're an underbidder they missed out and they 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 want to be there first in line for the next time Absolutely. No, absolutely. We build on our successes, you know, um, especially with these artists that we've been talking about, um, Elizabeth Catlett, Huey Lee Smith, um, where because of the internet, the great thing about being in auction world is it's pretty transparent. You can see what we had, you can see what we sold it for. And so there's no mystery. And, 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 and it's, you can find that on, you know, on your, at home, we, you don't need access to the New York art market to do that. So before we go, let's close with a commercial for your upcoming sale, since this should come out about uh, a week before uh, the the sale. I, I saw you do have a Kenneth Victor Young, you have a Norman uh, Lewis, you have an Ed Clark uh, uh, work, uh, there's a Catlett. Do you want to just, and a Huey Lee Smith, do you want to pick a couple and tell us a little bit about some of the leading lots? Thank you so much. Yes, Marion. Um, I'm, I'm happy to plug my next sale. Um, yeah, on March 31st, at the end of the month, we will have uh, another sale. We, we do these auctions uh, twice a year. And so the spring auction and our fall auction feature uh, modern and contemporary. And I, and I think it will be um, very interesting sale. Yeah, you mentioned some of the artists we're featuring. I think uh, we're seeing a lot of growing interest in the market in um, Huey Lee Smith. And we have a wonderful group of his work 
as I said in our talk, he, he had a long career and we have a range of his work. So we have like a 1960 painting of his that was in the Johnson Publishing Company collection, sold privately before we got the collection. So that's coming to auction as well as work into the 90s. And then, like you said, we're, we're building on some of our successes. So we're continuing to offer uh, some great women artists and contemporary artists that we've been developing in this market. Howardina Pendel is one, and we have really two great, more of her assemblages, the collage with punched uh, paper holes and a wonderful elements um, made out of postcards from the early 80s. She's a really interesting artist in this market, and we have two of her works. And we're, we're excited also to have a couple of groups of consignments that are collections, and we contemporary art mark we, we want to keep developing so in the last sale we had some significant sales for uh, a latin american cuban artist belkis ayon who does colographs we have more of her work and plus we've added some other contemporary artists like Mikita ohuya who's a, a newer artist uh, of african-american descent who's shown internationally in london we're excited to have a painting by her. So we're we're growing in different directions, building on our successes, but also trying to introduce artists. But the sales will remain African-American, not African diaspora. Now that we have so many more, you mentioned earlier, we have so many more African diaspora artists who have become rather successful globally. Yes. Uh, um, well, we're flexible. <laughs> I don't think you can be too narrow. And, and there's some natural affinity with some of these artists. So we, we've always kind of been open and, and we, can, we can try it. So, you know, we've had, for example, we've had work by, uh, an artist who's um, Ethiopian, uh, Skundra Bogosian, but he lived and works in the United States for a long period of time, uh, taught at Howard. So we sold his work. So we're, yeah, it does, and we will include more of the diaspora. I think what people call African American artists, it's, it's changing. Uh, it's changing. It's more inclusive. When we started, we were the African American Fine Art Department. So we changed our name too, quietly, a couple of years ago. <laughs> Come up with a new term, and you're, you're, you can expand the the, the scope. I, I think so. I would, but we are still building our sales around some of the great pillars of 20th century art, who are African American. Uh, Elizabeth Callot and Hughley Smith. Are, are, well, are it also seems like there's plenty of room for just the growth in value. I mean, your, your sales have been sort of around three to five million over the last se several years. And a lot of that is just the sort of average value of these lots are, are, are rising. But even with that, it's still not compared to what we're seeing in, in the, you know, uh, uh, the bigger auction houses, the average value is still uh, in the five figures, even in the low sure. five, five figures. So that one would think there's a fair room for growth in, in value, especially, you know, you've mentioned Howardina uh, uh, Pendel a couple of times. You know, there's a, 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 a longstanding artist, but maybe not the most developed of markets uh, and all. And it would look, one would think that there was also an opportunity in many of these uh, artists for there to be continued value growth, even on repeat sales of some of the works that have passed through. A absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been doing it long enough that, that we've had people who have acquired who have acquired works in our auctions in 2008 and nine who have now reconsigned in the last couple of years so it's definitely uh, a trend and we yeah I mean it, the I think there's great value and uh, I I mean I, I think you're going to see um, 
we saw it recently. Some of these artists are just ready to have their work go to the next level. We did it in the fall with a wonderful painting by Hale Woodruff. He, he was an artist who the right painting just hadn't come to auction for him. So with some of these artists, that's, that's all that needs to happen is just the right painting in the market today can make a big leap possible. Looking for that breakout moment. Absolutely, yes. Nigel, thank you so much for taking the time to explain all, all of this. It's It's been uh, fascinating, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great, it's been fun. Marion, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it.